Good morning, Cornerstone. Uh, man, that's exciting news that Gabe shared with us earlier. We're so looking forward to being together in person, at least some of us next week, and I hope you'll join us. I want to start my message today by telling you a story from our family, and then I also want to tell you about a study that I've been looking forward to telling you about for a while because I believe it's really important. So uh, first, the story. So a few years ago, I got a call from at work from Wyatt's school. So Wyatt's our second son, and I got a call from his school that Earlier that day, Wyatt had got into a physical conflict, a fight, uh, with a kid on the playground. And I was told that, uh, that Wyatt kind of involved himself in a couple other kids' conflict and, and resulted in this, this physical conflict and that he was in the office and him and the other kids were, were getting some consequences. And I was fine with all of that, but really looking forward to getting home that night so that Elise and I could sit down with Wyatt and hear about what took place. And so that happened. We sit, we sit down and Wyatt begins to tell us about one of his friends who had been getting bullied for a period of time by one particular kid at school. And um, Wyatt on this one occasion had had enough and so he physically stepped in in the middle of this altercation between his friend and this kid doing the bullying and one thing led to another and shoves were exchanged and then punches were exchanged. Well, on a playground, you know, there's, there's no room for that in our schools. And so the teachers come over, right, rightfully so, and they, they take Wyatt and the other boys off to the office. And there they're um, told why that's wrong, and they're given certain consequences. And um, so I'm hearing all this story, and I think Wyatt's expecting to get in a lot of trouble from Elise and I. But there were two things that I wanted to communicate to Wyatt that evening as he was telling me the story. First of all, that there are certainly other things that he could have done first before getting involved in a physical altercation, trying to protect one of his friends. I mean, could have used, used his words, he could have gotten a teacher. There are a number of things that he could have done. And uh, we also talked about that when certain things happen, there are just natural consequences. So we said, hey bud, you're gonna have to just pay the consequences the school has, has put on you, and um, we're in support of all those things. But I spent the majority of my time telling White this other thing. And I start off by saying, hey, Wyatt, what you did today was actually really good. Your courage was good. Your commitment to your friend was good. Your willingness to use your power for someone that has less was good. Your willingness to stand up for justice, even on the playground, even if it was vigilante justice, was good. And your mom and I are very, very proud of you. Now, I was glad as I look back on that moment that I didn't let perfect get in the way of good when giving my son feedback about something that was really upsetting to everyone, something that occurred that day. I've done that many times. I've let perfect get in the way of good, but that day we didn't. Now, I tell you that, and now I lead into this, this study that I want to mention to you today because I want to contrast the difference between what is good and what is perfect. So let me tell you a, a study about perfectionism. This study came out in 2017, and it was a study called Perfectionism is Increasing Over Time. This was a meta-analysis study done of 4,000 college students between 1989 and 2016, so three generations of young people. And the study was looking at the cultural changes that have taken place over those, those three decades and how they have shaped college students differently in the United States, Canada, and Great Britain. And what they found was that young people are increasingly living under unrealistic expectations that they put on themselves and others, and all of those expectations are actually really harmful in leading to a number of just um, physical manifestations of unhealth. Young people are seemingly internalizing a preeminent contemporary myth, they said, that things, including themselves, should be perfect. So the study was very nuanced. They described three different types of perfectionism. I want to mention these today. So first is self-oriented. 
This is what they call the most complex. This is tying one's own self-worth to their achievements. And so if you think about how dangerous that is, attaching your self-worth to your achievements, that's very anti-gospel. It's very against the message of Jesus. That just speaks value to us, unconditional love. Uh, unconditional love. What they also found with self-oriented perfectionism is that people have a hard time. It's, it's very elusive to find satisfaction in their accomplishments because it's never enough. So that's the first type. The second type of perfectionism that they're using to measure this increase is socially prescribed perfectionism. This is the most debilitating and this is the perfectionism that comes from the expectations that people perceive from others around them and culture. People expect me to be perfect. I can't let anyone down. My parents expect me to always do everything right. And what happens is because this is uncontrolled by the person experiencing the pressure, uh, when failure comes, and it certainly will because we are people who are not perfect, it leads to tremendous negative emotions and particularly stress and anxiety around this expectation that people put on themselves that they think that others are putting on them to be perfect. So self-oriented, socially prescribed perfectionism. And the third one was others-oriented perfectionism. And the way this manifests itself is that we expect others to be perfect. And so we live with the anxiety of constantly judging other people. And this type of perfectionism is also on the increase. And so when people fail or they don't meet our expectations, we're, we're quick to criticize. And those people are generally treated with hostility and disdain. Now what's alarming is that some of these categories over those three decades increased by 33%, particularly self-oriented perfectionism. The tremendous pressure that people are putting on themselves in our modern culture literally is robbing them of their health and robbing them of their life. The study makes direct connections to things like eating disorders, chronic anxiety, depression, high blood pressure, thoughts of suicide, and then relationally things like revenge and bitterness, and narcissistic tendencies, and hate. I mean, just scary things, right? And it's coming from this wave within our culture, this expectation that people have for themselves and others that they have to be perfect. Now, I tell you all that good news today. It's not really good news. It's terrible news. But I tell you all that to set up the good news that we find in the scriptures. And so we're going back into Genesis chapter 1. We're in a series called Beginnings Bereshit, where we're looking at ancient words that provide a foundation for a life of flourishing. And the word, word we're looking at today is not the word perfect, but the word good. And what I'm interested in doing today is helping us be released and set free from this expectation to be perfect and to see that good is better than perfect. And so if you have your Bibles and you like to follow along wherever you're watching, it's Genesis chapter 1. The first place the word tov, the word for good, occurs in the scriptures is in chapter 3. So I'll read it here. I'll mention it a few more places. Genesis chapter 1 verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, tov. And he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. If you move down, you see that this uh, re repetition of God saying things are good begins to pick up because this is actually a poem describing creation. It's a song with rhythm and cadence. So you get to verse 9. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let the dry ground appear. And it was so. And God called the dry ground land and he gathered the waters and he called the seas and he called them the seas. And God saw that it was good. Verse 11. Then God said, let... The land produced vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, 
according to their various kinds, and it was so, and the land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good, and it continues. And just for sake of time, we're going to jump down to the last day of creation, day six. You get to verse 31 after God's masterpiece is done, which is creating men and women in his image. And it says this in verse 31, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Tov. Tov is used seven different times in Genesis chapter one, the first six days of creation. Or at, what we know is this is what, what, what God tells us. He says, I actually think God's probably saying the word good over and over and over again, all six of those days. But it makes the point. Seven different times this idea is repeated. Then God created and then it was good. Then God created and he noticed it was good. Then God created and he said that it was good. The word tov is used other places in the scriptures, particularly the Old Testament, to describe things that were pleasant or agreeable or appropriate or valuable or excellent. But I want you to remember this use of the word. Tov, good, is used to describe things that are becoming, emerging. So the potential of a newborn baby is inherently good. Uh, a young adult coming to age, taking risks for the first time, it's good. Even if mistakes are made. An older adult who's willing to humble themselves and experience some character change, they're becoming, that is good. That is what God was describing when he looked at his creation. God's world was first called good, and that includes you and me. So let's go a little deeper into the things that God was calling good. And notice he's not calling these things perfect. But what is it that he calls good? He calls a world full of life and movement and change and potential. Good is used for those things. It's a description for things that are alive and moving and changing and things that can grow. And so God's world was distinct. It was not static. You know, when I think of the word, um, when I think of the word perfect, I think of things like, uh, to, to describe it, I think of infallible, static, never changing uh, the same, just smooth. There's no, there's no character or variety to it. But God's creation was not like that. So I didn't use the word. It was distinct and there was a certain variety to it. And so there's the animals on the ground and there's the birds in the sky. And he named the day day and the night night, gives them different names. And he creates all kinds of different living creatures. And he separates the water from the, from the sky. And this is a world full of character and growth and movement. And all of these things, variety, uh, difference, distinction, character, growth, movement, that also describes me and you. Our lives were created to be distinct. And so we're separated. We have our work separated from our rest. And so we work six days and then there is Sabbath. And good and evil are separated in, in the, the beginning of the story. And individuals and families are distinguished as different. And male and female gender, something we're going to talk about in a few weeks, are significant distinctions of God's creation, and all of it was called good. It was not perfect, static, or the same. Tremendous variety. I mean, one of the things we looked at a few weeks ago when we were talking about the subject of race is what it says in the scriptures, I think it's in the book of Acts, from one man, Adam, God made all the nations of the world. No single person, no family looks the same, but it's all good character, variety, expressed in different ways. And part of that, the idea that God put his character into his good world means that there is unique personality and there is 
capability and will placed inside of people. So one of the things we know from, from this story, and we've established it during the series, is that we were made in the image of God. And our very first calling that we receive as people is to, to, fill, the world, to fill the earth with the image of God, His character, to be like Him. Now, to be given the image of God means that we have also been given a will, an independent will to choose right from wrong, good from evil, to do what's right. And with that will comes the potential to make mistakes and to need to grow and even the potential for sin. All of that was present when God said of us that we were good. The world was full, living, spontaneous, full of surprises. It was moving and it was good. Now take that to the way we think how we, how we should behave or the standard we put on ourselves to be perfect. Always getting it right. No room for growth. Static, never changing. But that's not a living world. Good is used to describe the living. Um, so let me give you an example of perfect. Or I could say this is an example of good be even being better than perfect. So at our home, we have, uh, we have a beautiful kitchen. It's, it's not fancy, but it's beautiful. And our cabinets are all painted white and our appliances are white. And when everything is kind of cleaned up and everything is taken off all the, all the cabinets in the refrigerator, it's just this perfect white canvas. It looks perfect. I mean, there's a, there's a, a beauty to that. It's just simple, smooth, everything's the same. But if you were to go to my house right now and you were to look at that refrigerator, you'd say it's anything but perfect because there are literally dozens of magnets on the refrigerator. We collect magnets from the places we go on vacation and so they're memories. And so on there, you see all these different places our family has been. It represents memories and special moments as a family. Also on the refrigerator are dozens of pictures of the boys in their sports uni uniforms through the season. So we buy pictures of them, we buy the magnets, we put them on the fridge. You've got Jude's artwork. The fridge is anything but perfect. But you know what? That fridge is full of goodness. It's lived in. It represents the life around it. And good is certainly much better than perfect. And the refrigerator, as it is, is exactly how a family with four boys should look. See, God made something better than a perfect world. Infallible, always the same, never changing. He made a good world, and that includes you. Now, as I move through the rest of this message, I want to I give you uh, three ideas that I think help us understand this idea and liberate us from the expectation of perfectionism. So the first is this, that good is a statement of value about you and each one of us. Number two, perfect as a standard robs us of joy, creativity, production, and intimacy. Okay, so there's a price to pay for living under that standard. And then number three, God leaves room for grace, or good leaves room for grace. Perfect leaves room for no grace. And humanity is meant to run on grace. So um, let's just mention a few of those. So first of all, good is a statement of value about you. I've got a friend that says this, we should be as gracious to ourselves as God is. Why is it that we hold ourselves to a standard that God doesn't? So the very first thing that was ever said about you and me is that it was good. So in the same way then when Adam and Eve were created, God looked on them and said it was very good. At the birth, I believe at the birth of every child, God looks on that child and says that it is good. It is the first judgment ever spoken about you. Think of that. 
Now you couple that with another foundational reality we've talked about in this series, and that is that we've always belonged to God. You read Genesis chapter one and you feel affirmed and loved and seen. So from the very beginning, God in his camaraderie of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, this incredible community, desired to share that love and that camaraderie and creativity and submission with us. So he creates us in him and we have belonged to God from the beginning and we always belong to God, including right now. Regardless of what you think about God, whether you even think about him at all, you belong to God. That is the first thing that was true about you. But the first thing said about you is is that within that environment, he said that it is good. It's a statement of value on every person. The image of God inside a person is good. It's also a statement of affirmation. It's meant to be encouraging. So many people walk around feeling uncreated. They just feel like crap about themselves all the time. And I'm talking about something different than having a desire to grow or understanding that we all have faults and sin. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about this self-judgment that so many people have because we expect to be perfect. Listen, be encouraged. Let it sink in. When God looks at you, he says that it's good. And, you know, I want to speak to a certain group of people that we believe are watching, you know, with the number of views that have gone up during COVID and um, just the spiritual hunger that we see in the world today. We believe there are a lot of people at home or wherever you're at right now watching that you are, you would say you're not close to God or you haven't journeyed with God. And so you're checking things out. You're seeking and you're wondering if there's anything that, that, about God that can help, help your life. Listen, the narrative of the Bible is something we call the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus. And one of the things Jesus does is he comes in and he stands in our place for the punishment of sin so that we can once again experience what it means to belong to God and to hear his voice say, it is good. You are good. See, none of that has ever changed. But our ability to understand that, sin keeps us from understanding that. God steps in, Jesus steps in and says, I want to help you reconnect to your original good created purpose and value. So if you're a person wondering about God, the best reason to say yes to him is because no one has ever thought more of you than he does. You are seen completely, loved by him, and he wants to journey through life with you through Jesus. And so it's the first thing said about us. It's a statement of value. Secondly, perfect as a standard will rob you of so many things. It will just really destroy your life. So it's literally killing people right now. But let me describe how um, this, can just, this continues to happen. So let me illustrate it this way. Perfect will rob you of joy and enjoying the things right in front of you. So at home with my boys during um, holidays or seasons like right now with, the su- with summer going on, we build a lot of Legos. And my boys have a lot of Legos between four boys and birthdays and Christmases and countless number of years now. They have a lot of Legos. Well, we built this incredible kingdom of knights and castles and forests and bridges and rivers and ships. I mean, it, it's, it's really impressive. And uh, I'll spend a lot of time with the boys building this kingdom and we'll get it just right and we'll get it perfect and we'll be so satisfied and I'll walk away. And guess what, what do you think it is that I say to the boys as I walk away from my, my masterpiece? I say, don't mess it up. It's perfect, boys, don't mess it up. Well, I leave, what do you think happens? A couple hours later, I come back up there And the guys are knocked over and the wall is torn down because a battle took place. And I'll say, what happened? And they'll say, Dad, we played with it. And I'll say, it's not perfect anymore. And they'll say, Dad, but we had fun. It's a toy. 
perfect as a standard will rob you from the little joys in life, but it'll also rob you from the greater joys in life. So let me use a few examples that I see um, in, in real, the real world today. And really, this is just meant to not point out people's flaws, but to help free us. So these are things that I see happening over and over again. The first place I see perfectionism robbing people of creativity and joy is in modern day motherhood. Moms know this better than I do, but there is tremendous pressure put on moms to be perfect. So I eavesdropped in on some popular mom blogs this week because I knew I would find this subject written about because it's just such a big deal. And here's some of what I read. The reality is this, that despite the pressure to be thin, cook organic meals for your family, dress them in all the latest fashions, have your house looking perfect all the times, and on and on and on, the pressure to be perfect never ends. And then it went on to describe this, there is a cost to that expectation of perfect. And one of the moms said this, we are only half present for them, speaking of their kids, for the time due to the constant pressure to have everything together. And she encouraged mothers to do this. Mom, stop and enjoy your children. It's okay if everything's not perfect. Instead of allowing the pressure of being perfect to hijack your motherhood journey. I mean, that is such a good word, hijack. God did not create a perfect world. And if you live under that standard, it will hijack so many things that he wants to share with you. Here's another example, young adulthood. So we just heard about that study. But if you think about young adults today, I spend a lot of time with young adults who are, who are very stressed out about making all the right moves when it comes to the big decisions in life. And uh, the way I describe it is they, they, they kind of feel like life is this code to crack or it's a combination to open. And if you think about opening a lock, you have to perfectly get to one number and then in just the right way, you have to perfectly get to the second number and then to the third number and then it opens up. There are a lot of young people today that believe they have to make all the perfect decisions. That's tremendous pressure. What does that do? It robs them of the joy of those years. It robs them of the journey. It robs them of wisdom. Because what is wisdom? Wisdom is what you do when not every, you use when not everything is black and white. They get stuck. Decisions are hard to make. And so movement and fruitfulness and risk-taking, things that are all natural for young adult, all of those things stall because they're trying to live up to a perfect standard. It robs. We have to move away from a standard that God never put on us. So here's another example. How about leadership? Perfection will kill your productive leadership or your stewardship. And this applies to just about everyone, whether it's starting a new business or leading a government or for like me, getting to lead a church. You know, right now, leaders are in, a, in the middle of a huge challenge. Just about anyone who is in charge of other people or communities uh, because of COVID is experiencing tremendous pressure. We're all kind of in the same boat. No one knows what they're doing. I mean, the most common thing that I'm saying personally as a pastor uh, of Cornerstone is I don't know. What about? What about? What about? I don't know. I don't know. We'll find out. It's really hard to just kind of get your hands around the challenge. I was talking to another pastor in our community just yesterday, and he said, I always feel behind. Like, I'm just not measuring up. This is such a challenge. I feel so inadequate were his words. And it's true. Literally every plan that we put together is inadequate. Nothing is perfect. And so about a month and a half ago, I was out walking behind my house, 
told you in the past that that trail behind my house is sacred because it's a place that God meets with me. And um, I was out on the trail and what happens to me often is that my emotions catch up to me. And so I didn't really know that I was so stressed out and upset. So I'm out on the trail and I'm spending some time praying and all these things begin to come out and my emotions kind of hijack me. They do this all the time. I wish it didn't happen to me, but it did. And, and I just started getting really sad and really angry. And I thought, I can't do this anymore. I'm tired of being away from my church. Um, I see how this is stressing out my family and our staff. I can't fix these things. Just the same feelings that many of you have. But I felt a responsibility as a shepherd of our community to help take care of people. So I don't have the, the, the expectation to please everybody, but I do want to take care of people. And it was becoming very uh, evident to me that I wasn't able to do that. And I can remember just kind of having this pity party with God, which is certainly okay to have from times, just saying, I don't want to do this job anymore. I'm tired of it. Pick somebody else. And the Holy Spirit came in and did what he often does with me, is he cared for me. And there's something about the Holy Spirit that can still get through my hard heart. And I heard the Lord say, it will not be perfect. This week will not be perfect. Your next plan will not be perfect. This summer will not be perfect. But I will give you all you need to do something good. That's the standard. Your team, you guys can do a good job. And it doesn't need to be perfect. And you know, that simple truth that I'm teaching you today is all I needed to say, all right, I could re-sign up for this. It's amazing how God speaks right to our heart and helps us. Now that story leads to this third point that I think is the most important point about good versus perfect. The reason good is better than perfect is because it leaves room for grace. Did you know that when God made you from the beginning, he looked at you and he said you were good. He did not say that you didn't need anything else. Those things that are good and that are living need grace. The living world runs on grace, including our lives. Perfect, in contrast, leaves no room for grace. So let me give you a practical example. If you're a person who holds yourself to a perfect standard, you probably have a very, very hard time even considering or um, enjoying the forgiveness of God or the forgiveness of others. And if you're a person that lives up to a perfect standard, you actually might have a really, really hard time forgiving other people because you think that they should be perfect. See, perfect leaves no room for grace, and forgiveness certainly is a beautiful uh, manifestation aspect of grace. How about mercy? There's no room for mercy in a perfect world. There's just right and wrongs. It's good, it's bad. Good is better than perfect because it leaves room for grace. Now here's how I want to focus on that aspect, just one particular way that God brings grace into our life through understanding that he created a good world, and it has to do with our own growth and maturity. Good is better than perfect because it leaves room for grace and grace leads to growth. And the reason this is important is because life is messy and we are fallible and we have wills that choose to do things our own way and go apart from God and the Bible calls that sin and there's consequences to sin and so we contribute to the messy world and the world is unpredictable and out of our control and we need God's grace to keep maturing and growing. One of my very favorite authors, Richard Foster, says, it is great grace that God allows us to grow. We don't grow because we have to, to please him. It is great grace that God allows us to grow. 
Think back to the world that God created. It was a world full of seasons and plants that would grow and fruit that would produce and there would be seeds that would fall to the ground. And you know what happens to a seed when it falls to the ground? Things get messy for a while. The seed is broken open. It falls beneath the surface into darkness before it springs forth something that is fragile. That's the good world. And we're the same way. Things get messy. Things are broken open. Sometimes things are done in darkness and then something beautiful and living and new emerges and it begins in a fragile way. Uh, Think about the universe. We know from science that the universe is expanding. God created a good world that continues to expand. Why would we not continue to grow as people? And I'm not just talking about maturity and growth for young adults or for teenagers or little kids. I'm talking about all of us. So to the older people that are listening, how are you growing? Like, are you just, are you set in your ways? Are these things that, that continue to cause others harm and you harm in your life, are they just neglected or managed away? Listen, it is great grace that God would help you grow. So all of us right now, I think, with what's happening in our culture regarding um, how just the, the issues of racism have been brought to the surface in a new way this summer, uh, at least for many of us. Many, of, many people were well aware, but for many of us, it's, it's woken us up at a new level. Uh, many of us are being challenged and growing. So I want to describe what's happening for me. And so um, as a leader in the past, I, I, and this is still my, my philosophy. I certainly believe this is, this is where God has called our church. But I believe that when we see something bad happening, the best way to change bad culture is not to oppose it or come above it or resist it, but to create good and better culture. I certainly believe that. It's to build his kingdom. And so the best way to change uh, bad culture like racism or inequality is to create new and better culture where the, the reality of God's kingdom is experienced by everyone. And so in the past, I've been much more willing to build something together, to work together towards certain good. What can we build together? What can, what can we achieve together? But one of the things that I've learned, and I believe God is helping me grow in this, is that when you are committed to justice and equality and biblical justice specifically, there is a time not just to stand with others for what you are for, but it's time to stand with others of what you're against. A Christian certainly can stand with people even of different faiths, um, affirming the good world that God is trying to create, but Christians can also stand with people of other faiths and other philosophies and stand against the things that God stands against. And so I have not completely changed my philosophy. I still think the best way is to be proactive and create good and, and beautiful culture, but I, have, I understand something now that I didn't before. And there is a time to stand up and oppose certain things with people. And I'm so grateful that there is a God who doesn't measure me on a perfect standard, but measures me on a good standard and says, here's an opportunity for you to grow. It's a case for all of us. Now, I know what some of you are thinking right now. Good versus perfect. Way back several minutes ago in the message, you started thinking about Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, where Jesus says, be perfect, therefore, as my heavenly Father is perfect. I'm going to explain this verse very quickly because it's easy to explain. The word perfect that's used here is actually a very bad translation. Although God is, has no faults and God is perfect, although God is moving and dynamic and has a character, um, it is not saying that we are to be perfect like he is, that it, to be infallible. This word that's used here is a word that's used to describe maturity and completion and wholeness. Be mature. 
complete, whole. The word tov is not being used here. It's a different language, but it's more of that idea of becoming. Move towards him. Be like him. Take on his character. And listen, Jesus modeled this. Did you know when Jesus was entered this world, he entered the good world? I don't think God looked on him and said, oh, it's perfect. I think he looked on Jesus when he was born to his mother and his father and said, it is good. And that was a beautiful thing. Look, Luke chapter 2. Look what it says of Jesus. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. If Jesus, the closest thing to a perfect life, certainly without fault, but if the standard was good and he grew in wisdom and stature, certainly that should be the standard for us. It is great grace that God allows us to grow and change. That is part of his good world. A few more examples of this. I spend time meeting with couples who are struggling in their marriage all the time. And sometimes they come in my office and, and I'm just really aware that the marriage is not in a good place. It's, it, you could actually say the marriage is bad. It's certainly not perfect. But I look in their eyes and I hear both the, the husband and the wife and they communicate their commitment to one another, their commitment to growth to becoming more individually, to becoming more together. They're embracing the hard work of healing and forgiveness and reconciliation. And they're saying yes to the process. And the whole time I'm sitting there, even in the midst of a bad marriage and saying, man, that is so good. Good leaves room for grace. That marriage needs a whole bunch of grace. But the standard of good will allow God to come in and bring his healing grace and that's the kind of thing that changes a marriage. Or I think of people who are dealing with addiction, whether it's to substance abuse or substance abuse or porn or, or, or different things. And you know what? People have setbacks all the time. But it's such a good thing when people keep showing up at their meetings, they keep confessing, they keep struggling, they keep growing, they keep emerging. Listen, God can use that. When you understand that you are part of a good creation, you're willing to grow and emerge because it leaves room for grace. For some of you that are wondering, what should I focus on if the goal is not to be perfect anymore? Let me suggest Micah chapter 6 to you. The word tov is used here again. It's really simple. Micah's kind of having this dialogue with himself and the Lord. He says, what shall I, uh, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings and with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with the thousand, thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? What he's saying is he's just going so extreme saying, what if I worship perfectly? Is that what God wants? Like, does God want me to just come with this, this perfect devotion to him, this perfect expression of love for him as he would define per, uh, perfect? But that's not the case. You get to verse 8 and says, no, 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 none of that is needed. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. Tov. Listen, what is good? Here's what you pursue in your growth. And what does the Lord require of you? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Hmm. I wonder how things would change for you and for me in our families, in our church, in our community, our world, if the focus went away from being perfect and pleasing everyone all the time 
and we said yes to the things that God calls good. To act justly. And that'll help right now. The inequality taking place in our country. How about to love mercy? Won't that help right now with those that are suffering because of COVID and to walk humbly with our God? Humility certainly is the medicine we need for an entitled, arrogant world. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with our God. I think if that was the focus rather than being perfect, but being good, God could use that. All right, one last story and we'll end. And I think this illustrates the way God sees us, sees us right now. So many of you know that I spend a lot of time in addition to building Legos with my boys, but I coach them in sports. And I've coached a number of different football seasons. And this last football season was my very favorite of all the ones that I've coached with all the different boys. And so, but I do want to tell you about one that took place two years before, before I tell you about last year. So two years ago, uh, I had a group of boys and, and I was coaching with some other dads that are part of Cornerstone. And we had a really good team. We had been together for a number of years and we had a feeling that we'd be really good. Well, we weren't just really good, but we won every game. And about the second week into the season, I just was looking at our team thinking, this team is really good. And we made a goal that we would not allow another team to score on us all season. And that's exactly what the boys did. They didn't give up a single point all season, and we never lost a game. And it was the closest thing to a perfect season that I've ever experienced as uh, an athlete or a coach or a dad just watching as a fan. It was awesome. You should, see, you should have seen the little boys walking around church after their games over the weekend. They were walking around proud. It was so cool. It was awesome. But that's not my favorite season. My favorite season came the next year, which was last year. And I had moved down age groups, and I was now with my youngest son, Jude. And I'm with a bunch of first, second, and third graders, so five, six, and seven-year-olds who had, most of them had never played football before. A bunch of little boys and one little girl, Lucy Seidel. Um, she was our secret weapon. Never played football before. Our second game of the season, we lose a game. It's really close, really frustrating. The boys are upset. Lucy's upset. And, um, but I'm looking forward to the rest of the year because I know we get to play that team again at the end of the season. And so coaches and I, we went to work and we started helping the, uh, our kids just get better. And that loss exposed some of their areas of growth and some of their weakness. And we grew. And our team won every other game until we got to that last game where we're playing the team that beat us again. I can remember one of the boys on our team said, Coach, I'm scared. Those kids are so big and they beat us last time. I remember looking at him saying, it's okay to be scared. That's why we have courage. So our team went out that day and we hammered them. It was an epic butt kicking. And I was so proud. It was a glorious moment on the sideline. Our little boys and Lucy Seidel, who had lost just a few weeks before, not only beat the team they had lost to, but they gave them a whooping. But what was so special about that season, it wasn't a perfect season, it was a good season, but what was so special is that they overcame their fears, they grew, they changed, and they met the challenge. It was so beautiful. That, of all the football seasons I've ever coached, is my favorite one. Because it was good. Full of character. Spontaneity, surprise, challenge, struggle. Listen, when you say yes to good, God's right there with you cheering you on saying, exactly, that's what I made. I made you to live in a good world, good creation, and to live out my goodness. And so as we close, I just want to give you a chance to reflect wherever you're at. And I have a feeling that right now there are certain things in your life uh, that are not going the way that you want. 
I just want you to think of what those things are. And maybe a perfect standard is robbing you of movement, uh, being fruitful, creativity. I mean, here, we're here at the Oakley House right now. This is a place where young creatives come to kind of work out uh, their, their, their skill as artists, but also grow as young individuals. I can tell you the Oakley House is not perfect, but it is a really good place. It's helped a lot of young people mature and grow and create beautiful art. But what is perfect robbing from you right now? Your joy, your creativity, production, your good leadership, enjoying your family, what, what is it? And can you give that back to God and receive from him the affirmation of doing good, be free from the expectation of doing perfect, and then re allow him to bring grace into your life to bring transformation in that area. I mean, I can tell you that this day won't be perfect, but with the Lord and his grace, it can be a good one. I can tell you that this summer is not going to be perfect. It already isn't, but it can be a good one. I can tell you that your family will never be perfect, but it can be a good one. I can tell you that your life, even your, your relationship with God will not be a perfect one, but he doesn't hold you to that standard. Because of Jesus, you are welcome in with grace and it can be a good one. So today's invitation, message is really an invitation to have an exchange. Perfect for good. And it's not just that good is good enough. Good is better than perfect. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truths that we find in Scripture, specifically in Genesis chapters 1 and chapters 2, these, these foundational truths that, that allow us to thrive. And today, God, the thriving is going to come because we're released from something that should have never been put on us. This expectation to always have everything right, to be perfect, to always please others. I bless everyone watching, God, with the release of that expectation. Whether it's this perfectionistic expectation that they put on themselves or it comes from culture or that they have from others. Father, we pray for a miraculous release from that. And I, would, I pray that they would hear the first words spoken over them, that they are good. And I pray for understanding of what good is. Good is growing, emerging, changing, spontaneous, surprising. Father, as they embrace the goodness of their creation, I also bless them, Father, with your grace. Thank you that living under the standard of good leaves room for grace. We certainly need Jesus. So we pray for um, the work of Jesus in our life. We pray for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We pray for all of those things that grace can, can do in us and provide for us. And so I bless my friends who are listening today with more of your grace that comes from being released from this expectation. Father, bless this day. May it be good. And we prayed in Jesus' name. Amen.